Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. So let's read Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 together. Can we do that? And we're going to read the version that's on the big screen. That way we all don't step all over each other. Are you ready? Say yeah. yeah. Here we go. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Praise the Lord. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who saved me and gave his life for me. I want to read one more passage of scripture. I didn't give that back to you, but just flip over uh, to uh, back, sorry, back a book to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to read verse number 17 as well, and I'll read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Can I get a hallelujah for, for the new things? Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word, God. We praise you. We glorify you. We magnify you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Uh, the title tonight is Identity Crisis. Several years ago, um, I began to work with the youth leadership team, and we defined a couple of what I would consider core life values that we wanted the, the young people of this ministry to live by. And we, we don't necessarily talk about them in everything we do, but we, I, I'm very intentional about every message that I preach ties back. In fact, if you, you know, I haven't really been using notes lately, but if, if you look here on my, uh, don't, don't get worried about all that, but... Um, Right here, it says core life, and I identify with my sermons that I'm preaching what core life principle that I believe the Lord wants us to operate by that ties, that's the theme throughout the service. And, and this particular one is one of the things that I want you all to understand as a group of young people. It is vital, it is important for you and I to go against the crowd. It's as simple as that, right? That the power is found not in the majority, but the power is found in the minority. Jesus never showed up to a great crowd of people and said, I'm going to use this great crowd of people. But he showed up to the silent majority. He showed up to them. He showed up to 12 ordinary men. He showed up to 120 in the upper room. He showed up to Moses on the backside of the desert. He to Gideon when Gideon was threshing weed on the, he showed up to uh, time and time again, Noah, Abraham, by himself in the land of Ur, childhood. he always shows up. God isn't out there speaking with some booming voice saying, I'm calling an entire mass of people. Now, that same small voice is constantly going out to individuals and they get an opportunity to respond. But the core life value is go against the crowd. And the other one is true beauty is found on the inside. True spiritual beauty is found on the inside of a man or a woman's heart. So Paul wrote this letter to the church of Galatia before the church council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. So there was a council that the church got together in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Go read it. Um, but he endeavored to settle some false teachings, okay? And the false teachings were this. Paul had come out and made a doctrinal declaration that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. And you say, Pastor Tad, what do you mean by the law? I'm talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Jewish people called this the Pentateuch or the Torah, right? It was, the, it was basically Moses, 
Moses' law, right? You hear all the time that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were challenging Jesus. Well, the law of Moses said this, and the law of Moses said this. And so after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and it was clear and evident that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, conversion started happening around the world. And Paul, after his conversion experience, started preaching and saying, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And all the Jewish Christians who got saved, there were two fundamental challenges that they issued to Paul's message that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Number one, everybody say number one. one. Hang with me here. Number one, okay, number one is that if Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law, then what do I need the law for? Right, that was the first argument against Paul's Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. What do I need the law for? And Paul goes on to explain, listen, he starts to debunk this false teaching and says, listen, the law is important. The law is righteous. The law is good. It is holy. It is a, it is a wonderful thing, but the law is not what saves you. It's kind of like this, so if I could break it down to an analogy. How many of y'all appreciate a good analogy? Good analogy. All right, so if you go to the hospital, amen, and you get an x-ray, or you get a CAT scan, or you get an MRI, okay? You can jump in that machine, and it can reveal a tumor in your body, for example. Amen? It can show you, diagnose to you that there is a problem inside your body. But if you go tomorrow and every day after for three months, and you have that same X-ray, that same CAT scan, that same MRI, you're going to get the same results that you still have a problem. That CAT scan, X-ray, and MRI has no power, no authority to cure you of your tumor. It diagnoses the problem that you have on the inside. Paul goes on to explain saying the law of the Lord, the law of God, the law of Moses is the same way. It's good because when you compare your life to the law, you start realizing where you've got problems, amen. When you start comparing your life, your attitudes, your choices, your, your, your entertainment selections, your attitudes, when you start comparing your life, the way you behave, the way you operate within the confines of this scripture, this is the boundary, right? With, without banks, a river turns into a floodplain, amen. So God gave us the word, the law of God as a guide, as a blueprint. And then in, in, in Genesis, in J John chapter 1 verse 14, uh, John says this, that Jesus became flesh, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of God. He became flesh and he is not an x-ray, right? The word, God's word diagnosed man's problem. Thou shalt not kill. Amen. Thou shalt not kill. Just because you know thou shalt not kill and if you go out and commit murder, that doesn't make you all of a sudden forgiven right? Thou shalt not steal. That just, the word tells you that doing this is outside of the boundaries. And so God gave us his word that we might live outside the boundary. And Jesus Christ is the only cure, the only fulfillment, the forgiveness of that law. Amen. And then, so there were those, all of these arguments that, that Paul was trying to dispute with the church in and around Galatia. And he says these words, he goes, I have been crucified with Christ. So what's that mean? Crucifixion is a form of death. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Amen. How can that be a true statement? That I have been put to death, but yet I'm very much alive. Amen. When you read the scripture, you are challenged with, with the way you think about your identity, that I have been crucified with Christ. In fact, it says that it is I who no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then that life which I now live, I live in the, that I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who saved me and gave his life for me. So how can I be dead but very much alive? What Paul is saying is, listen, there's a part of you that must die. There is a part of who you are. Everybody say, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. 
Okay, it is my flesh, my body, my desires of my flesh that must be put on that cross. Okay, too many times we hear Christians running around saying these words, I rebuke my flesh. Listen, God never intended for you to rebuke your flesh. The devil's what gets rebuked. Your flesh has got to die, right? You don't rebuke something God intended for it to be on that cross. It said, I am crucified with Christ. In order for you to be crucified with Christ, you must be on the cross, amen. There are too many believers in the church today at the cross because we sing, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, amen. We sing these songs, but can I tell you tonight, it is not enough to be at the cross, it is not enough to be at the cross. Friend, you and I have to get to a point in our life where we recognize that our flesh, given the opportunity, will do that which is contrary to the word of God every single time. No exceptions, no exclusions. There's none of us who are any better than anybody else. If you afford your flesh that opportunity, it will take that opportunity. Therefore, we are left to this conclusion. If I am going to live a life in the spirit and not a life in the flesh, I cannot coddle this flesh. I cannot pacify this flesh. I I cannot convince myself that my flesh is better than Tori's flesh or that Will's flesh is better than my flesh. Our flesh is filthy rags when compared to the holiness of God. There is no room for our flesh. There is no room for our carnality. Therefore, it must die. I said it must die, and I know this is old school, holiness, sanctified preaching, but listen, if you walk around your life, living your life by the cares and concerns of this world, by every whim of the emotion, if everything you watch is I feel like it if everything you say is the first thing that comes to your mind if everything you go to your mind navigates to the first thing and you don't check that thing against the spirit friend you may have found yourself at the cross but you are not on the cross too many Christians saying I go to church on Sunday I'm at the cross too many Christians say I say the complimentary prayer when the pastor tells me you're at the cross too many Christians lifting up their hands because the pastor says to do it they are at the cross but friend until you make up your mind that I've got to move past this cross and I've got to go through the hard task of climbing up on that cross and this and splaying out my flesh and saying that thing must die because there's something on the inside of me that's greater than that thing that's on the outside of me and that thing that's on the inside of me is the spirit of an almighty God that must live that flesh will always supersede the spirit lest you kill it your flesh your spirit desires to live but that spirit cannot live to the fullness that God intended for it to live while your flesh is alive now, Pastor Tad, are you, are, are you talking like we actually need to go, like, physically crucify ourselves on a cross? Please don't do that. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying your desire, your ambition, your plan for your life cannot supersede God's plan for your spirit. So many are on the cross, but not enough are on it. We've got to progress our spiritual life to a place where we're on the cross. You say, Pastor, I thought we were talking about identity crisis. We're going to get there. It says, the life which I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I. So you got to get to a point where you recognize the part of you that lives is not you. It's not your desire. It's not your ambition. It's not your future plans for your life. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who saved me. And gave his life for me. So Paul was very clear to ensure that his message was not tainted or interpreted to mean that the Old Testament law was contrary to the New Testament 
are no longer needed, but that Christ came to fulfill the law. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it says this, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak, God sent in his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The law was to act as a guide, Galatians 3 and 24, until Christ came and his Spirit dwelt in our heart to help us walk it out by the power of his Spirit. So the problem we have today is we are confused about our identity. Too many of us identify as, as kind of who we are in the flesh here and now, right? How many of y'all have had this thought when, it, when you say the words like, I am a spirit, right? That you, this flesh and blood is not who I am. And so somehow your mind tells you that you're some like floating orb in real life, right? Like that I'm like the spiritual being and I'm just kind of floating around and that's the part of me that's going to live on forever, right? That is not an image of the spirit. Jesus said, I am a spirit, and those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. So the problem is not that, that we no longer have followers of Christ, but we actually have fellowshippers or, or friends or fans of Christ. We no longer have the mark of the early church that everything we do is centered around Christ. That testimony of Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says, In him we live, we move, and we have our being. We no longer have those whose identity is based on Christ, that solid rock. We are experiencing an identity crisis within this generation. Your identity as people of God has never been more challenged than any other generation than right now. Sexual identity challenges, gender identity challenges, who you are, all of these identity challenges. And I don't mean to tack or to jump on or, or dogpile on buzzwords just to get a, 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 a response out of a, a crowd of people who believe this. But here's what I'm trying to tell you is Jesus is not looking for fans, but he is looking for followers. Followers who understand that there is no forgiveness without repentance. That there is no salvation without surrender. That there is no life without death. That there is no believing without first following. Satan knows by getting you to identify with anything other than a follower of Christ that you are essentially forfeiting the perfect fulfillment of the law of God, which is Christ Jesus. So tonight I want to spend just a few moments debunking some of these common identity crises that we have here within this generation and believers all across the world. One of the tactics... That the enemy had throughout the Old Testament. When I'm talking about an enemy in an Old Testament, there are types and shadows all throughout the Old Testament. I told you I was going to geek out. Types and shadows. So when you read an Old Testament story, there are types and shadows in these, in these stories. So, for example, I talk about uh, Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of y'all know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? This, this wasn't their actual Hebrew name. But they had found themselves in bondage in Babylon. Babylon. So all throughout scripture, the people of God found themselves in bondage. Part of the tactic of the enemy when the people of God were in bondage was to change, to change their names. Amen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were Babylonian names. These were not their Jewish names. They were the Babylonian names because they understand that these young men represented a future, represented a potential, represented a power, represented authority of the people of God. And when they were, they were in Babylon, and so what the king would do is he would change their name. He, he would get to the core of who they were, their identity. The enemy would change their name 
So one of the things that the enemy would do, the people who had captured the people of God, is they would change their names. They would come in. Remember the story last week of Esther? She and her, the Jewish people had found themselves in captivity in Persia as a result of disobedience to God. Her birth name was Hadassah, but they had changed her name to a Persian name and given her the name of Esther because that was a tactic of the enemy back in ancient times, that if I'm going to overcome a people... If I'm going to overcome a nation, if I'm going to overcome a generation, I have got to keep them from identifying with who they are at their core. They recognize that these were Jewish people, and the, one of the ways they were going to overcome was overcome that Jewish culture. So I'm going to take your Jewish name away. I'm going to take your Jewish customs away. I'm going to restrict you from praying. I'm going to restrict you from going to the temple. Why do you think when those Persians and the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, one of the very first things they did was tore down the tabernacle. They tore down the temple because that represented a cultural place of worship for them. And the enemy knew that if he was going to overcome a people, he couldn't just come in and take them into captivity. He had to take their God away from them and had to take their identity away from them. And that is no different than what the enemy is doing today. He's trying to steal your worship. He's trying to take your identity of who you as, who you are as a born-again child of God. And he's trying to give you a different name because he can get he he understands that if he gets you to recognize yourself and identify yourself with someone other than you are, he's got the battle beat. He doesn't have to put you in chains. He doesn't have to put you in prison. He can put you right there in the middle of his culture and change your name and get you identified with something other than what you are as a child of God. And listen, if he can get you to identify as an addict, if he can get you to identify as, a, as an alcoholic, if he can get you to identify as a pothead, if he can get you to identify as, as something other than you are, then he doesn't have to put you in chains because you're bound by your mentality because you have chose to identify yourself as something other than you are. So tonight I want to spend some moments debunking some of those identity crises. One of the things, one of the ways that you guys get false identities projected upon you is as a result of the opinions of man. And I'm preaching to the choir here. One of the challenges that I've had my entire Christian living, my entire adult life, is the desire to please people. I'll tell you right now, that is a terrible thing to have as a preacher, by the way. I'm telling you, right? I mean, that about wear you out. I mean, all the time trying to please everybody. And then, y'all, I go home after preaching a message. I'm mean, done. I done. I don't. Got all over them. They're all mad at me, and because I want y'all to like me, and I can say, I'm telling you, that's a terrible thing. But listen, you cannot be defined by the opinions of man. So I'm going to preach this next part to myself, and I hope you get blessed out of it, okay? All right? You cannot let your identity be defined by what someone else thinks about you. Too many believers are held captive by the opinion of their friend, by the opinion of their teacher, by the opinion of their parent, by the opinion of their leader. You have been defined too much by the opinion of man, the opinion of man that says you'll be better some way other than you are. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 says, For I am not seeking the approval of man or am I now seeking the approval of God or am I trying to please man if I were still trying to please man I would not be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ you cannot please both God and man the scripture is quite clear about it so if you spend your entire life listening to me having no backbone 
If you spend your entire life not taking a stand on anything because you want to please man, because you want the pat on the back from your schoolmates, you want the pat on the back from your teammates, you want to blend in and you want to not buck the system, you spend your entire life pleasing man, you will suffer from an identity crisis. You will define who you are based off of who everybody wants you to be. And if you stand out and try to be a wide-eyed, sanctified, blood-bought, spirit-taught, Bible-toting, scripture-quoting, sin-trashing, Satan-bashing, Bonafide big time believer and proud of it. If you try to identify yourself as a child of God, you better believe that devil is going to come and try to project the opinion of man on you. Listen, I had the challenge of going to a public school. I know many of you in this room do. You know, it's challenging when everybody else on the ball team is going there on Friday. I get it. It's challenging when everybody is listening to that song. It's challenging when Cardi B puts out the latest whatever. It's challenging when that latest TikTok trend goes out there to want to jump in on it. And if you don't, what are they going to say if I don't go along, get along, and come along? And because we get persuaded by the opinion of what everybody else thinks, we accept an identity other than what we are. I want to be hip. I want to be fad. I want to be relevant. I want to be, really it comes down to relevancy. John chapter 12 verse 43 tells us that those who are, who love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's true. There are those who love the glory of man more than the glory that comes from God. Many have allowed their identities as Christians to be closely connected with man's opinions of them. You're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too skinny, your singing voice is bad, it's too loud, it's not loud enough. You'll never be as good as so-and-so, you'll never measure up to this person, to that person. The truth is, you'll never stop someone from forming an opinion about you. It's the truth. I'll never stop any of you from forming an opinion about me. And ultimately, that's what the conclusion I come to every time I preach and every time the devil jumps on my back. What's this person think about me? Does this person think I was targeting them? Does this person think I was being mean? Was I too strong? Was I too harsh? Was I too this? Was I too that? Listen, if I spend my entire life trying to please you, I'll never please God. It's true. The truth is you'll never stop someone from forming an opinion about you, but you can stop that opinion from forming you. Psalms 118, verse 8. It's actually the middle verse in the entire Bible. I could really geek out on this, but I won't. Psalms 118, verse 8. It's better to to place trust in the Lord than confidence in man. You'll be better off in your life if you place confidence in God versus man's opinion about you. Opinions that say the gifts of the Spirit are old news, speaking that heavenly language is foolishness. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. Therefore, live like you want and claim grace. 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 That's what Jesus, that's what Paul was coming against when he said this. Well, if Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law, then what purpose is the law? I'll just go on doing what I want, behaving how I want, acting how I want, and at the end I'll just say Jesus. Right? I'll just do what I want. Paul, Paul says, listen, if if grace does abound, should I continue in sin? God forbid. Just because Jesus Christ came to forgive you, friend, isn't a license to sin. And I'm saying this from experience. If you go about your life and you are doing things, listen to me. I know how it's, I know what the devil does as a teenager because I was there once. 
This concept of premeditated sin. You know the thing you're doing is outside of the will of God. You know the thing you're doing is contrary to the purpose and the plan of God for your life. And you tell yourself time and time again, I'll never do that again. I'll never go to that website again. I'll never do that with her again. I'll never do that with him again. I'll never say that again. I'll never talk like that again. I'll never do this again. I'll never, 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 and I'll never do this again. But then one day, not too far in the distant future, you have some good Holy Ghost movie. You make this commitment to God. One day the devil and that old flesh come. This is why that thing's got to die. This is why it's got to die. Because if you don't kill that thing, you're going to come to a Holy Ghost movement and you're going you're to feed your spirit and you're going to feel the strength of your spirit. But if you don't do the hard work and crucify that flesh, that flesh is very much alive. And after three or four days of not being in the strength of the spiritual move of God, because you haven't read your Bible, you haven't prayed, you haven't fasted, next thing you know, because you never put that flesh to death, it's still alive. All of a sudden it's lust and its desires begin to creep up and, it's, and, and you have that desire to do that thing you said you would never do again and then you tell yourself this well I'm just going to do it and I'm going to pray after I do it and ask God to forgive me listen if you cheapen the grace of God like this Paul said are you even saved Paul that's what his challenge was it's it's right there let's go very last verse I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died in vain I'm not just going to go do my sin and say I can do it and just say grace, grace. I feel like I hit a, I pushed a button there, so I'm going to move on. It is true that a good name is to be desired, and you should do all that you can to protect your name by not allowing your good to be spoken evil of. Right? So I'm not saying that you shouldn't live your life to not be a stumbling block before men. Okay, but what I'm saying is don't let the opinion of that man or that woman form who you are. Do all you can to protect your name by not allowing your good to be spoken evil. But if pleasing man for such a good name comes before pleasing God, I fear that you acquire, the name that you acquire is not that of a follower of Christ, but a pleaser of man. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it with your whole heart to the Lord and not unto man. Don't be defined by the opinion of man. Amen? Number two, everybody say number two. Your past. Too many of you are allowing yourself to be defined and identified by your past, by the mistake of yesteryear or yesterday. There are those who allow themselves to be identified by the events of their past. Jordan, you were so gracious to be so transparent with us in your testimony tonight. Identify for however long it was as a result of what you went through as a child. Felt unloved, felt unqualified, felt insufficient for the task as a result of what you had to go through. I wasn't too far from that, and I'm going to share from my heart for a minute. Many of you don't know this, but I was adopted. And I went through a period of my life where I suffered from an identity crisis, actually in real life identity crisis. One day I got adopted. My adopted father changed my name. And he said, you've been called Tad your whole life, so we're just going to go ahead and talk, call you Tad, but I'm going to give you my name. And I'm going to name you Tad Charles Floyd. So I got two birth certificates, two social security cards, but I went through an identity change midlife because I was adopted into a family that I was not born into. Let me tell you something tonight. You were not born into this thing. The Bible says we've received the adoption of sons 
right, that we've been adopted into the royal family. And you've identified by your past mistakes. I was identified by the man that I was born to because he was a sperm donor for my genetic makeup. That's essentially what it came down to, right? He was never a father to me. He was never a dad to me. Biologically, he provided 23 chromosomes to form who I look like. Thanks a lot, right? But what I'm trying to tell you is this. I identified for years of my life as a junior, as Tad, because of what I was born into. But one day a man, by his goodness and by his graciousness, decided to take someone who was not his own and adopt him and give him a name change and said, you're no longer going to identify with that thing you were born into, that you're going to identify with somebody else. I'm talking to people in the house of God tonight that were born into something that the enemy planned for you to identify with your entire life. But one day on a hill far far away stood an old rugged cross and you found yourself bowing down at the blood-stained banner of the Lord Jesus Christ and he came and gave you a name change hallelujah we serve a God who's in the business of changing names and I don't know about you but that gets me excited because I don't have to identify as broke busted and disgusted I get to identify as saved sanctified and delivered hallelujah because I took on an identity change Jacob was born with the name Jacob it means liar it means deceiver it means conniver but when he wrestled with God and he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God God showed up and said listen I'm not going to call you a liar anymore I'm not going to call you a deceiver I'm not going to call you a conniver but I'm going to change your name and call you Israel which means friend of God let me tell you something tonight if you'll make up your mind to have an encounter with God he'll change the name he'll take the label off of you that the enemy meant for you to identify with your entire life because you made a mistake and you did this before marriage. You made a mistake and you went to that party and you made a mistake and you did this and that. Listen, you are not defined by the failures of yesterday. You are not defined by the mistake and the sin of yesteryear. You can make up your mind to wrestle with God, have an encounter with God, and God will show up in your life and change the name and the label that the devil is trying to put on you. Held captive by the events of yesterday. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, therefore if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Third thing is, so the first one was, too many of us identify for the opinions of man. Too many of us, secondly, are identifying based off of our past failures and mistakes. How about this one, the mistake of others? Now, I'm not going to belabor this one here, but I know under the sound of my voice tonight that there are many who didn't have the best example. And you don't currently today have the best example. I look all across this room and I'm making eye contact with people all over that I know they don't have the best example of how to live a godly, consecrated, dedicated life. But can I tell you right now, if you think for one second that just because you don't have a good example that I somehow excuse you from living a consecrated, dedicated life to God, and that you choose to identify yourself and you make an excuse based off of what someone else isn't showing you what to do, you came to the wrong place. Once you hear this word, friend, you're accountable to it. I'll close this last thought out by saying this. There's a man in the Bible by the name of Solomon. How many of y'all know that man? You know that name, Solomon. Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel comes to Solomon and says, I'm not going to call you Solomon anymore. I'm going to call you Jedediah. Said, I'm going to call you Jedediah. Just 
spiritual significance and meaning to that. You can go look it up. But the thing I found extremely interesting in that is we know Solomon is a man who prayed to God and said, Lord, give me your wisdom. We know Solomon is a man who came to God and said, we know him as the wealthiest man in the world, the wisest man in the world, the one who built Solomon's temple, all the great accolades, but he was born as a result of the mistake of others. Solomon was the son of King David in Bathsheba. You know the story. Bathsheba was a married woman to Uriah the Hittite. David conjured up some plan that I'm going to send Uriah the Hittite off the battle. I'm going to make sure he dies in that battle because I think his woman's fine. I'm going to take his woman. So when he ought to have been out there in battle, when he ought to have been out there fighting for the kingdom of God, he conjures up this plan of fornication and adultery and murder. I'm talking about David. Yeah, the one whose heart was after God. I'm talking about David. And out as, as a result of that union, Solomon was born. And Solomon could have spent his entire life, well, not as a result of that specific union, but later he came. <laughs> the first baby, he just didn't make it. There's consequences for sin. Amen. But Solomon could have spent his entire life saying, oh, I'm a product of adultery. I'm a product of murder. I'm a product of fornication. Because of that, I'm just going to identify as a murderer. He could have been a vicious, vile king and said, well, that's what I was taught to be. He could have been a fornicator, doing all sorts of things contrary to the word of God because that's what my mom and my dad, that's what I was born into. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. But no, Solomon recognized that there was a God on the inside of him that wanted to change his identity. And he wasn't going to be identified by the mistakes of others, but rather the identity that Christ Jesus wanted to give him. Therefore, the prophet Nathan came and said, I'm changing your name. I'm going to call you Jedediah. All throughout scripture, Abram was changed to Abraham. Sariah was changed to Sarah. The list goes on and on and on and on. But my God's in the business of name changing. He can change your identity. You don't have to be defined by the mistake you made last week, this week, or yesterday, or even this afternoon. You can take on the identity of Christ and not be defined by the failures and the mistakes. Can I just ask an honest question tonight? And I know we don't have much time tonight, but let's just go ahead and get this part out of the way. How many of y'all have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God? Well, that's good. Not good, but it's good that you're honest. It's good in a sense that, guess what? Ain't a single one of us better than any of any the other. Because whether you murdered or whether you lied, God doesn't see colors of sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin, not the wages of the bad sin is death. Not the wages of the, the super egregious stuff is death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym and remember, you can have as much of God as you want.